Hey everyone, this is your host, Hewitt Tomlin again. Uh, before I begin uh, to introduce today's podcast guest, I uh, just want to talk a little bit about Team Builder and tease a new feature. Uh, we've been told that people really like the communication that Team Builder provides. It's kind of like a messaging center that's built out for the strength coach or the gym or the trainer. And uh, rather than using you know, two different applications, one for programming, one for mess- messaging, we figured if we add a little bit of beef to the Team Builder Communication Center, that uh, we can maybe replace some of these messaging apps that coaches are using. So the newest feature that will be coming out will be expanded push notifications. Imagine being able to write out uh, a message that you can schedule to be sent later as a push notification on the phone. Or imagine if you uh, created a push notification that could be sent out on a recurring basis, like Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. every day. So that's what will be coming down the pipe soon. Today's guest is Shelton Stevens. I've known Shelton for a couple of years now. I actually met him when he was in the college ranks. Um, and Shelton moved on. He's with the U.S. Special, Special Operations Command. And um, I wanted to kind of pick his brain about the difference between coaching in tactical and coaching in college and kind of compare and contrast that. But I also wanted to get into the broader kind of um, perspective on the job prospects for strength coaches in the tactical setting and military and tactical and beyond. And, you know, he really had some insightful things to say about how there is a lot of opportunity and tactical, and there's also a lot of benefits uh, from a personal perspective, from a career perspective, and how someone with high school or college experience really has an advantage uh, when it comes to coaching in the tactical setting. So we had a great talk. Uh, we spent about an hour, and uh, give me some feedback on how it goes. All right, Shelton, thanks for joining me, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm good, thanks. For everyone listening, can you tell them where you're doing this podcast from? <laughs> I am um, in my garage gym right now. It's about upper 30s, maybe low 40s, so it's uh, nice and cool in here. <laughs> yeah, you're a tough guy, though. That's why you're uh, that's why you're a tactical yeah. strength coach. Yeah. Hey, if you if you say so. <laughs> um. So yeah, man. How many years now have you been a human performance specialist with U.S. Uh, Special Operations <laughs> Command? Um. This is going to be my third year coming up. Yep. Okay. Third year. Nice. And so sometimes you hear the term JSOC, which is Joint Special Operations Command. What's the difference Mm -hmm. between Special Operations Command and JSOC? So basically like JSOC is more of um, everybody's kind of under the JSOC title or whatnot. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you hear, you know, you have the U S army special operations command, you have the U S special operations command, you have JSOC. I mean, everything's kind of, I know it's kind of complicated, but kind of everybody's still under the same umbrella whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, again, we we really are kind of on an Island of our own. Um, Mm. that's kind of the difference, but yeah, everybody's kind of still under that umbrella. Gotcha. So when you say Island of your own, does that mean that your special operators don't collaborate with the other branches when they go out in the field? Or do you mean in terms of how you operate here in the States? Yeah. So um, basically what that means is, is, you know, we have our own particular unit and um, of course I can only say so much um, just because of where we're at, but um, yeah, we kind of, we have our own compound that we work on and we have our particular number of guys that we work with. And I mean, yes, there is communications from branches to branches, but for the most part, um, you know, it's, it's usually within, um, our tactical setting. We, we, you know, we'll, we'll talk to, um, different units on base, you know, people want to come and visit us and see what we do and, and, you know, the things that we we're kind of innovating or, or the things that were, you know, new things, old things we're throwing out, um, just kind of see how we operate. So people will come to us and sometimes we'll go to them just to visit them. So we try to communicate as much as we can, but you know, we stay pretty busy where we're at. Yeah. So the majority of your career is still in the college realm. You know, you're in your third year in tactical, but you spent a long Mm -hmm. time in college. Yeah. Um, So I thought it it would only do it justice. if We talk a little bit about your college experience. I I think your most recent college gig was at, at Liberty. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Liberty is a crazy place because um, um, they got a lot of money. <laughs> you know, they got a um, ton of money. You, you designed two really, really nice weight rooms, or at least helped design them. I, I've seen them, you know, from working with Liberty for a couple mm-hmm. of years now. That's how I first met you. Um, 
how, how does Liberty have the, these kinds of resources where like other schools in their league, you know, kind of don't? Yeah. They, uh, so the, they're a private university, which there's, you know, pros and cons to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but their online programming is where they get all their money. Mm. Right. So they I think it's something crazy, like 500 million to a billion dollars a year. They make off online um, programs. Mm. So it's um, yeah, it's it's that's where they're getting most of their money. Um, a lot of people don't know how beautiful that place is. Um, I mean, being in Lynchburg, Virginia, obviously you have the mountains there and everything. But the facilities ranks up there, I say, within easy top 20, top 15 when it comes to overall facilities, yeah. right? Like just nationwide. Um, obviously, you get your big football facilities and all that, which you can't compare yeah. those those big SEC, ACC schools, their facilities. But when it comes to like our track and field, obviously with our Olympic weight room, the basketball weight room, like that's that was, um, yeah, well, they're up there top top 15 for sure. Oh, well, if you take the weight rooms like on aggregate, you've got the football weight room at Liberty, but the basketball complex is out of control. Yeah. And then the Olympic one is out of control. I mean, you guys got the Sornex, you got the Sornex mm-hmm. racks in there. You know, yep. If you get the Sornex racks, you're cutting checks, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, so I, they gave me a pretty much a, um, a budget, a number to work off of. And I kind of, I kind of came back and was like, Hey, like, you know, that ain't going to be enough if you, if we want to be the best. So they're like, okay, well you go ahead and design what you think that we need, um, you know, to be the best. And I'm like, okay, like that's, that's easy for me. Right. So we, I'd done it too. And it was, you know, we, we was probably, you know, the Olympic was around, I don't know, 1.2 million maybe. Um, you know, and the track and field was pretty high up there too. I mean, that was one of the biggest track field weight rooms I've, you know, been around. Yeah. When it comes to designing a weight room, you've done a couple now because you did one at Nova Southeastern, I believe. Yep. Um, So when it comes to choosing vendors, I I mean, I'm sure you want the best equipment, but is it mostly based off of relationships? Is it kind of who you have a relationship with when it comes to choosing the the racks? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's the relationship aspect of it. Um, You know, being at Nova, I mean, I was, what, maybe 24 years old. I didn't know what I was getting into, right? So Mm -hmm. um, all I knew was was hammer strength was pitching – you know, they're, they're pretty much all their fitness equipment. And I didn't know the difference between life fitness and hammer strength. I knew life fitness was more like cardio pieces and hammer strength kind of made their weight equipment. And that's what we had in our, um, our rec center at Nova Southeastern. So basically the athletic director was like, well, Hey, we have it in our rec center. So we need to go with them with our athletic weight room, which, you know, if I had that a little bit more, sense. yeah. Right. And if I had a little bit more experience, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I would be like, Hey, let's look at power lift. Let's look at, you know, these people. But, um, yeah. but yeah, Sornex, the, the relationships there and, and the quality of work, you know, then you talk about the welding, you know, the quality of welding and the jobs that they do. And it's just, yeah, it's second to none, man. Like somebody gets a Sornex weight room. There's no need to ever kind of upgrade to anybody else. Cause that's pretty much the top. Yeah. 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 I think that's pretty well established at this point. That's oh, cool, yeah. man. Um, so let's let's get into comparing and contrasting tactical versus college because mm-hmm. you know, our audience is a lot of college folks, um, and we'll we'll get into you know the job prospects of being in tactical later. Um, but my first question is: Is do you think there's less pressure in tactical in some ways than being a college coach, and then in other ways is there more pressure? How would you compare and contrast the, the idea of being under pressure? Um, I would say it, I guess it depends on what your position is, like. When there's when you talk about pressure, all right. When you talk about the college setting, like there's obviously there's a lot of pressure when it, when you're on the football side of things, um, but that pressure comes from and, and I'll say it, you know, riding the coattails of of the head coaches, mm-hmm. and um, that's where that pressure comes from. But you can have the again, you can have the best program in the world, and, and it don't matter at all. Mm-hmm. That does not matter. It's about the players that they recruit. Do they win? If they're not going to win, either be prepared to get another job or you better have relationships around the country to land another spot. Um, mm-hmm. That's where the pressure comes from in the college scene. Now with the tactical scene, depends on where you're located because every place is different. But if you're working with special ops, I mean, again, you have guys that are in their, you know, low thirties, mid forties, these guys are mature, right? So not everybody has to be on your program. The programs are completely optional to these guys. So mm-hmm. the pressure comes from, getting them to, to buy in and stay bought in 
to your program and why they need to be doing your program because there's thousands of different things out there online that they can research and do. Um, but w- what is it about your program that gets them to stick around? So that's where that pressure comes. And also, mm-hmm. I've never been a part of a profession where it gets you prepared for to, to be a professional because we get, we do so many briefs and PowerPoint presentations and pretty much get in front of you know, sergeant majors, generals, um, soldiers, whatever, and talk about all kinds of sort of things to get them bought into what we do, right? Mm-hmm. And you just don't really do that in college. Now, if, if you have a good performance model in college, you might be able to get in front of like athletic trainers and administration and, and pitch, mm-hmm. you know, this is why we need to buy this product. But at the tactical setting, they view you more as a professional. The college setting, they do not. They yeah. definitely do not. Yeah. Well, you know, not to undermine the collegiate yeah, yeah. performance profession, but I've sat in on meetings, right, as a fly on the wall, and mm-hmm. it wasn't professional. You know, it was kind of yeah. like a bro session. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you have to be prepared for every meeting you go into, that changes your mindset a little bit. You're not just going to a meeting. You're, you know, you got to prepare for the meeting. So in a way, you, you, you said you've sharpened as a professional in that regard, having to interact with people outside the weight room in a different way. Absolutely. And again, like this um, – you know, obviously things are evolving and changing in, in, in college and that's a good thing. Right. I mean, but at the same time, I've never got so many calls, especially during COVID, right. When everything was shut down, I never got so many calls from college strength coaches wanting to leave the profession, the college profession. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, it's just, I don't know. And I've said it before in other podcasts, I don't know what's going on from, um, the administrative aspect or the pay or the hours. But as soon as these coaches mature and have families and grow up a little bit, mm-hmm. um, they start to realize, okay, like I need to really start getting serious about long-term career development here because I can't just mm-hmm. keep jumping Island, to Island, to Island. That's just not how it works. Right. Yeah. It's not what, it's not what life's about. That's not fun. That's, that's not as a, as a man, that's, I don't want to do that to my family, to my, yeah. to my wife, to my kids. You just don't. Right. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Um, so in the past year, we work with high school, college, professional, private facilities, gyms, personal trainers, the college sector seems the most volatile, um, based on my observation the last yep. year. Definitely the most disrupted of those verticals. Um, okay, so let's talk about the, the, the job prospects in tactical. In a 2019 podcast that you did with Ron McKeefrey, um, you guys mentioned how a major general that year talked about how there's going to be two to 3,000 jobs for strength coaches in the military in the next couple of years. Now that it's 2021, can we look back in retrospect and, and say, did that prediction come true? Did the industry really grow that quickly for people? What happened? Now, I don't know the exact numbers, but I do know it has grown tremendously since mm-hmm. me and Ron's talked. We, especially at the big army level, um, infantry level, brigade level, there's mm-hmm. tons of strength coach positions opening up at that level, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have Exos is out of the picture now. They were the contractor. And then, you know, they got outbidded and now it's KBR who's the main contractor. So what how that works is, is KBR is kind of in control of hiring these professionals um, Mm -hmm. for the military and the pay has gotten better since me and Ron's talked a lot better. Um, And it's uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, And yeah, I mean, they just started opening up all over the place, especially with KBR and reef systems and all these contractors. And um, from what I've seen with numbers, I definitely think it's getting there. I really do. Yeah. How many hours a week did you work on average your last year at Liberty versus how many hours a week do you work now at your so, Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I would say it was easy 12 to 14 hour days, um, at, at least five to six days a week. And then of course, working with baseball, you know, in your sport, I mean, you're working seven days a week. It's a I mean, lot of games. They Sundays. travel a lot in baseball. It's, absolutely. Absolutely. Baseball is a grind. Um, so you have that right now with the military. The thing is, um, you get in at four thirty or five o'clock and you have a group at six come in or, or some guys to train you're leaving at one or two. I mean mm-hmm. that you're working, your contract hours is your contract hours, right? So if you got your work done 
um, you're just not sitting around just to sit around and waste time. I mean, you get to go home and, and, mm-hmm. you know, have time with your family or work on another business or whatnot. I mean, you have time to do that. Now, obviously if there's work to be done, you know, of course you're going to stay a little after hours, right? But you work your contract hours you're supposed to do, but there's nobody over you kind of slapping you on the wrist. If you're not the the last one out and the first one in, you know, the, the old school way of, th- of thinking, it's just not like that. Yeah. Um, so a surplus of hours and, and my guess is that you started your, your business with that surplus of hours and we can talk. Absolutely. About that. Okay, yep. cool. And we'll, and we'll, and we'll circle back to that. I just want to ask a few more questions. Um, it's known amongst tactical coaches, especially in special operations, right? That the kind of athlete that you get in the door is a gung ho, you know, uh, uh, the go for it kind of person. Um, and you have to teach them that less is more. That's kind of a contrast from college where, of course, with the football team, you, you yell at them, you insult their main head a little bit, they'll give you some effort. But with most college athletes, seeing the strength coach is kind of a chore and you have to elicit more effort from them. With the tactical guys, you have to teach them a little bit about you know, pacing and, and teach some of the concepts behind, you know, you, you can't come in here and treat it like a seven mile ruck. It's a little bit different. Is that, is that how it goes? Absolutely. It's, um, I mean, I, you still gotta, you still gotta teach the basics. Um, I mean, I talked to a guy the other day that still was in the mindset of creatine was bad for you. So they still don't know the basic stuff that's out there, the research, um, you know, basic push up, pull up, all that stuff still has to be taught, but you don't have to pull teeth to do it. You know, they're going to come in and they're going to get their work done and do whatever you tell them to do. Um, but at the same time, if you don't educate them, they're going to educate themselves because they're smart. And that's, that's the difference. I mean, they're going to come in and be like, Hey, like what's the difference between whoop and aura ring, or what's the difference between taking creatine and not taking creatine? Cause I heard it gives you cramps. Well, where'd you hear that? Like they're going to pick your brain. I mean, they're smart enough. So it's, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the big difference, but yeah, the less is more is big. Um, teaching them like the high and low concept of training with high intensity, low intensity, you probably need to do a little bit more here. You need to take off here, you know, recover here. That that's, that's part of the education piece and the briefs that we give them. Um, Mm -hmm. that's where they come in handy. Yeah. So it sounds like you, it sounds like you're training a lot of green freshmen that are really eager and have a lot of effort. And that's kind of the coach's dream, right? Is, is, you're working with people that you can mold and kind of take for the long term. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to worry about the effort. The the effort, the effort is there. Um, but now these guys have been through the ringer. So these guys are older that we work with, but you know, that's almost a good thing and a bad thing because the older they are, the more they've, you know, been taught to just run all the time and ruck all the time and run all these miles and and do all this stuff. Well, that's what they're used to. So getting them to stop doing that is very, very tough because that's what the army has been telling them their whole career. Mm. And once they hear something new, it's like, well, why do I need to do that now? I've already made it. So why do I need to change? You know? And Mm. this is like, well, when that's when the longevity talk comes in, like, Hey, like you're going to start dropping off. Eventually it's going to happen, but we want to slow that drop off. That's what Mm. we want to do. Yeah. Interesting. Um, let's see here. So, uh, another thing that I've heard you say in the past is that when you started in tactical, you were pleasantly surprised that these people take you seriously as a professional. Um, and again, this is not to undermine the college side of things. because there's plenty of kids and coaches who do take those folks seriously, but you said in this instance, um, you were just like a commanding officer or, or anyone else on staff. And when they walked in the weight room that you, you were kind of met with a sense of professionalism that, that you were happy to, to get. Is, is that right? You want to expand on that? Yes, absolutely. So when you walk in, I mean, we, we're pretty much, I wouldn't say we're part of the medical staff, but again, we worked very closely with our own physical therapists. I mean, we have a performance team and that is part of the medics, the doctors, the PTs, the cognitive performance coaches, nutritionists, chiropractors. I mean, they're all under the same umbrella and that's where we're viewed as. So like, again, Mm. like a doctor is, is considered a professional. So we're all considered under that same umbrella. um, And that's the way they view things. So when they want the performance team to talk, I mean, that's who's involved is everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's where, when we go to talk, I mean, we get 
everybody has their own little piece, right? Our performance coaches will talk, our nutritionists will talk, our doctors, our medics, like all of them have a certain piece that they will cover in front of command or whatever we need to do. So everybody hears it from all different angles. And it's just, yeah. you know, it's just not one person talking here and one person talking there. So that's, that it's crucial for them to see that we're all part of the same team. I love that, man. This sounds like a principle that really coaches want in the yeah. traditional team sport arena. It, it kind of sounds similar to the high performance model, you know, but the, the high performance model still, I think, has a little bit of risk in that the strength coach is still lower on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. The director of high performance is considered the medical professional. Um, but it sounds like the Army, we know it takes accountability seriously. So if you're on the team, right, if you're a staff member, they probably want you to speak up. They want you to be accountable to what you're doing in the weight room. Is that what's happening? Absolutely. So the way, and you'll like this, and I like it too. And I would take this back to college if I ever went back there. Um, so we have, you know, we have something called like a, just say it's a C drive or whatever on the computer. Everybody has access to everything. So like the PTs, the doctors, everybody can access our programs. We can access their files. We, if we need something, we can have access to it. it isn't, it isn't like in college where I'm not saying every college does it, but I'm just saying like, you know, how many athletic trainers get the actual strength programs from the strength coaches and know what's going yeah. on? You and know, vice just, versa, because athletic trainers exactly. are like, what did, well, these guys understand this? Why did they have to see my rehab program? You know, that happens all the time. Exactly. And that's where, it, you know, and, it, you know, there's several coaches on our staff. We're all assigned with a PT. So, and, and, and we don't have specific offices either. Our office is, is massive, but we all are, spread out, but we all are in there together. So like we can communicate across the hall. I sit right in front of my PT. So the communication is constant at all times. If a guy comes in, he's talking to me and the PT at the same time. It just isn't the coach here. And then he goes across the hall and coach and he talks to the PT and it's two different things being talked about. It's never like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great, man. I need to start maybe writing a little bit about that, that principle. And maybe, you know, I think some ADs could probably benefit from sitting in on a couple of military meetings and taking some concepts in the military back into the athletic program. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think that the, the, the performance model, I'm not saying everybody in the military has a good one, but again, you're, you're higher up units and, and part of the special ops. They, they got some pretty good performance models. And again, we, we talk more to professional teams, than anybody else. So we have, you know, the Spurs, we have um, the Patriots come in. I mean, we have different teams, a part of their performance models come and see what we're doing. So we we're in close communications with professional wow. teams a lot. Right. Wow. So, and we, and we want to know what they're doing too. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's kind of, you know, twofold there. We want to know, you know, the new stuff that they're using. They want to know what we're using. And um, it's kind of, it's funny because it's, it's a little hush hush because we try to not tell our secrets, but um, it's pretty cool to hear what these professional teams are doing out there. Especially some teams are really like, man, they're <laughs> when we talking about genetic coding and, and some, some crazy stuff that's going on out there. It's like, man, it's, it's going to blow up. Interesting. I got to get some, some of those guys on the podcast. I'm sure the sports teams are honored to, to share their stuff with the military, right? This seems like a patriotic thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, that's, that's, we have good relationships with a lot of different teams. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, I want to mention the story that you also said on coach McKeefe's podcast, uh, 2019, where the best shooter in the unit that you were training at the time also had the lowest IQ. Um, and it made me think about the story about the you know, Aaron Hernandez, which, you know, he passed away, obviously. But um, Aaron Hernandez during the combine was being assessed by a, a company of former SEALs guys that had a different way of assessing IQ, right? They didn't use a traditional kind of intellect measure. And Aaron Hernandez, by the traditional IQ standard, was not considered a smart guy. But his football IQ was off the charts. His decision-making in action during games was incredibly high. And it makes me think about how, you know, we should, in sports at least, we should start breaking down these um, stereotypes about who a smart person is. Uh, You know, there's plenty of smart people who are bad athletes, and there's plenty of athletes who probably aren't smart people but are amazingly smart when it comes to, uh, you know, what's relevant to their sport. Have you had any insight into that based on your college career or your tactical career? Do you think about a smart player or smart athlete being different than how we think about smart people in general? Oh, absolutely. We we had a conversation about this the other day at work. We – we're talking about, see, in the military, the only thing that I think is missing, especially where we're at and other, other places in special operations is, you know, there, there's no pressure behind them 
to, mm. so they're not going to lose their spot. Right. Obviously if they do something bad in the job, that's different, mm. but like, there's no like pressure. There's no like third string guy behind them ready to take their spot. Mm-hmm. And I think if they, if we had that, um, it'd be a little different with people bought into, to everybody would be on our performance programs where it's not optional all the time. Right. They have to stay in shape. They can't be out of shape. And what I'm getting to is, is, again, like these guys that can shoot their tail off, but they're out of shape. They're, you know, they're just, they're not really into fitness, but you get them out there on the field. They're just a different animal. They're high you know, performers. They can, they can, exactly. They're high performers, but we were like, okay, they're high performers. But when it comes down to it, if they need to drag a guy out of the field, if he's injured or, you know, he needs to cover so many meters, you know, to, to cover his ass or cover his guy's ass, like what, you know, when does the fitness come in? You know, that's when it's important because you could cost somebody's life if you're, you know, out of shape or, or not fit or not strong. So mm-hmm. that's where it's like, okay, the people at the top is where, you know, they have to, they have to decide that's important, you know, until mm-hmm. then, until then um, it probably will not happen. And that's, that's the difference. See where, the, you know, somewhere like Alabama, I mean, look, I mean, year after year after year, they've got Every a freshman there. could take your job. Exactly. Take your job. That's the difference. Like that's another high performance team, but they're performing because of the culture they built and Saban brings those guys in. I mean, it's, again, it's those freshmen and those sophomores that can easily take your spot. Yeah. You know, that's a different kind of, again, it's the same thing, but it's a little bit different in the military. Yeah. That's a big dose of humility. You know, when you know that any person can come in and get a chance at. Absolutely. If you're, nothing's more humbling than being a senior and having a freshman come in that that is like, that is probably the biggest slice of humble pie you could ever eat. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Pretty good motivator. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. I, I mean, I, again, you, you surround yourself with people like that. You're only going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, in terms of physical demands, do you, do you differentiate between the physical demands of the people you train or are some people in roles that require something different than others, or is it generally kind of the same role relevant to, to, you know, how a, a track sprinter is different than like a, you know, five kilometer uh, runner. Yeah. I mean, you have some guys that need to, um, again, you got your heavy breachers, you know, that's, that's, that's got to breach the doors and stuff. I mean, they're a little bigger, you know, they're a little stronger, but for the most part, you know, everybody's got a, the tough part is, is, you know, guys might come into the office and, and not want anything to do with the barbell. They might just want to train with kettlebells and, and, you know, dumbbells and just want to run all the time. And, um, that's where you like, you got to get real specific with your training. That's how our training kind of is, is specific in categories, you know? Um, but with, with where we're at, our guys, you know, with being in their low thirties, mid thirties, even forties, like they're banged up. So, yeah. I mean, we are really, really specializing programs when it comes to like specialty bars and using different methods and getting them to understand like, Hey, like, you know, you've been training aerobic all your life. Like your rate of force development, your power has, has declined. Like, you know, we have performance tests that we run on these guys where we get to see their numbers and where they are dropping off and what they need to you know, what they need to work on to increase and get, be better. So that's where we kind of like, maybe, maybe he can run all day, but his power is really, really low. So that's where we kind of specialize. You might need a little bit more power work than, than, you know, more of the aerobic and low intensity work. So that's how we kind of specialize there. Yeah. This is an unscripted question. I'm just curious. Is it harder to develop power and rate of force development in someone in their mid forties than it is with someone say in their early thirties? Well, it, it depends because, if they're that old, um, that's going to be the first thing that drops off. Mm. So being able to maintain that's going to be tough, you know? So they got to, you know, they got to constantly train that. They got to touch that power and that speed work, um, often. So that, that's, that's the tough part. And the older they get, it's, 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 you know, it's getting worse and worse. It isn't going to, you know, just magically appear one day again. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's the tough part is getting them to understand that. Um, but we, again, we try to we try to put a little bit of dose in there all the time when it comes, and it just m- might not be Olympic lifts, right? I mean, it's plyometrics and upper body plyometrics, and you know, I've been throwing in a lot of dynamic work. I mean, again, even even just the change of them looking at bands and chains and and different things, like they like that because they a lot of them have training ADHD, like they don't like the same stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Like they they can't stand looking at the same program for four weeks. They like it changed all the time. They probably wouldn't like pen and paper strength that because they get really tired of <laughs> bent over barbell rows and uh, rear fly delts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's not the right program for you if you want a lot of change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's good meat and potatoes, though. Um, <laughs> another unscripted question, and look, if you want to touch it, and if I'm out of bounds, just tell me, we'll move on. Um, but you know, steroids, for instance, you know, I, I think about steroids, and they're they're unfair in, in competition. I think mm-hmm. everyone agrees. But when it comes to you know fighting for our country and, and freedom and, and the important missions around the world and peacekeeping, um, it, you know, personally, me in a vacuum, I think, yeah, hell yeah, why not? Um, is this something you could talk about? I mean, is this, no, we, uh, I mean, we, so our nutritionist is great. Um, and she preaches the same thing that she would preach at, at a collegiate level or professional level. And obviously, you know, when you, when you talk about these guys that's banged up and stuff, I mean, we have things that we give them that, you know, obviously everything else, everything's going to be NSF certified through us. So mm-hmm. that nothing changes mm-hmm. there. Um, mm-hmm. now what these guys do in their own time, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they're not allowed to take this stuff. You know, yeah. but um, again, the, 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 I was most surprised when I walked in the door is we can't even give these guys creatine. So mm-hmm. there's certain rules in the military that we can only do. You know, they got to mm-hmm. buy their own protein shakes. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can't give them protein shakes unless it's through a fund or whatnot. But um, yeah. but, yeah, we preach the same things, man. Like, again, stay away from the steroids. Like, stop. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't use this. Don't use that. Like, stay away from the GNC, like ultra 5000 pump you know, yeah. supplement, like you want to stay away yeah. from that stuff. And, you know, we preach, you know, all natural, like thorn, thorn research products, clean athlete products, like stuff like that at top of the line. That, that's what we push yeah. to them. So it's less, it's less, an, it's less an ethical argument. It's more about no shortcuts, doing things the right way, the, the exactly. healthiest way. Right. It's, exactly. it's not about what's ethical or not. It's about what's better in the long yeah. term physiologically. Cause we get, I mean, we get questions about, um, you know, we get CBD and, Sterile. I mean, we get questions about all that stuff, you know, because they're yeah. not, again, these guys aren't dumb. Like they know. They're not dumb. No. And, and it, you know, it's, it's not a hidden secret either. I mean, the SWAT teams and, and police forces and stuff. I mean, it, it, the, the culture of there's no one there to kind of, you know, educate anyone on it. If you yep. told me, I, you know, I could be a, a, a better physical, you know, specimen at the job that's a very dangerous job and it happened to be a steroids I didn't know any better, I, why would you blame someone for, for being exactly. interested in that? Um, so it's just the education component. Interesting, man. Thanks for that yeah. answer. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, yeah. So, uh, next thing, do you feel like your college career helped you in, in tactical? Do you, in other words, do you feel like you have an advantage with your college career over say a, another coach hypothetically who had no experience in college collegiate coaching? Great question. Um, absolutely. 110%. I, uh, wow. I absolutely agree nothing changes when it comes to coaching, right? Like the more floor experience, the more athletes, the more sports that you can get your hands on and coach, you know, that's, what's going to help you in the long run. Right. Yes. You got to get certified. Yes. You got to do this all that. Like nothing beats hours on the floor and coaching and training yourself. You know, those two things is what has helped me, you know, get where I'm at right now. Um, just from going through it, being in it, being an athlete, training myself, seeing things that females can handle, males can handle, short, tall, um, big, small, all those things has helped along the way with me just being able to have experience with coaching. And that comes from college. Mm, interesting. It's good to know. I think it's good for, again, these folks probably reach out to you, but college coaches that are having the same, had the same realization that you had at some point, you know, this yeah. is good for them to, to probably formulate a good articulate answer around when they go into an interview with a, with a tactical outfit. And and that's the thing, like these young, like these young interns and even, even some people that's in the military, um, they ask like, Hey, I want one of these tactical positions or I want one of these specialized positions. I'm like, Hey man, like, you know, coach for 10 to 15 years. Like it's, you know, this isn't just something you could just jump in. I mean, there's no way somebody would be able to come where we work that has no coaching experience. They would get eaten up alive by mm-hmm. these guys. Right. It's just, mm-hmm. um, you have to get that coaching experience under your belt. I think that, um, helps 110%. That's a great question. Cause a lot of people don't understand like, yes, you know, I'm out of college, but at the same time, what I've learned pros and cons from just my mentors and different, different colleges and the way even weight rooms, the way they're laid out and what works, um, even from that aspect has helped because again, these guys want to get in and out. I mean, they're, they got a full schedule. So learning how to change a jammer arm on a Sornex rack within seconds. I mean, if you're fooling around and you don't know what you're doing, these guys be like, ah, okay, forget it. Like I don't have time. Like I just, I'll go yeah. do something else. I mean, it, it, it's, it comes down to those little things, man. It makes a huge difference. 
Yeah, they expect performance out of the, the coach. Yep. You're not just in the job. Um, this debate, you'll see it pop up every once in a while. It's kind of silly, but I kind of like to talk about it anyway. Should strength coaches look the part? Um, and in, in your industry, you know, in, in college, I think if you're a coach who cares, you know your stuff and you show up, I, I don't think you necessarily have to. Now, in, in your in your setting, uh, do strength coaches have to look the part? Does it help to squat a little bit? Does it help to, to get in there and move some weight around? Yeah, it's it's if you're in there moving, moving around and, and do, doing the same stuff, same stuff you're prescribing, those guys obviously going to help. But I think it's more of there, nothing beats being in the trenches and being able to communicate with them guys while you're in the trenches. I'm not talking about, you know, have your college shirt on and coach them up and talk to them. I'm talking about you're in there getting chalk on your hands, lifting with mm-hmm. them, getting sweaty with them, and then communicating while you're both training. Being in there doing that, um, there's something to that. Right. Mm. There's something to be because if I, these guys, I can tell you right now, if, if there's a guy lifting so much weight on a rack to your left and then there's a skinny guy with a college shirt on playing around with bands to your right, they're going to go to the guy on your left to, to mm. learn about lifting, you know, and that's just the way it is. Um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of your college athletes will do that, too. Now, yeah. I think it's all about your presence and what, how you communicate and then how you speak and your knowledge and all that stuff is obviously how you get people to be like, okay, well, he, he knows what he's talking about. If he don't know how to mm-hmm. lift or, you know, if he doesn't lift at all or does his thing, but mm-hmm. I think having a presence in the weight room and lifting a little bit is, uh, is important to the job for sure. But it isn't a, it isn't a, you know, a deal breaker. Yeah. It, yeah. That reminds me, I think that was a conclusion I came down to uh, with another coach, as he said, it, it's not a necessity but you're, you're giving up an advantage. It is an advantage, you know, if, if you can do it. And uh, if you like lifting anyway, why not take advantage of that and, and get in there and, and kind of move around with them? So yeah, that's, that's cool. That makes sense. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll pivot over here and uh, talk a little bit about your, your business. So 13 Bar Performance, is that what it's called? 13 Bar Performance, yep. Yeah, cool. So at, at what point did you have the, the vision for, for doing this and what kind of inspired it and, and how did it kind of start? Um, I think it was, you know, it's as soon as I started working here, um, I've always had a vision of, of some sort of, of online business because, again, I saw where things were going um, especially now, especially with this COVID stuff. But, you know, it, the, the online training aspect, there's not a lot of good tactical specific um, companies out there. Now, obviously, you have your soft leads. You have different companies that offer programs. Um, but again, everybody does this stuff a little bit different, right? And I, I don't want to be uh, another company that just puts wads of the day or, or, you know, Metcons on their website all the time. Like, I want an actual specific periodized programs that people will be able to look at and be like, wow, like, this is really thought out, you know? Yeah. And the tactical setting really needs that. You know, there, there's there's young men and women that, that enter the military and from high school that, that have no idea of, of, you know, strength conditioning, how to train, how to run, different intensities. They, they know nothing about that. So that's where it comes in where, all right, like I want to be there to help. I might not be able to reach everybody, um, but this is a good way to make a big impact worldwide. Um, mm. So I, I was like, let's, let's start this. So that's where it kind of all came from. Um, as soon as I entered, I was like, I'm going to do this. I got the time to do it, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. So it's fair to say your, your programs are for the tactical athlete population that just doesn't have access to quality programming or, or quality coaches. Absolutely. And I try to, and I try, and I try to make it where anybody could benefit from the programs really. I mean, obviously like your high school athlete or your young college freshman isn't going to be able to do the special forces program. I mean, it's crazy rucking mileage and running mileage, but a typical strength program, like some of our programs, anybody could do right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm big on communication. So I tell people like, Hey, like if you need to add a little bit of running or a little bit more running or a little bit more swimming, depending on what your job is, like communicate with me and I'll tell you where to plug that in, Mm. you know? So that's, I'm big on that. So it's the communication aspect has been key for me. I think that's kind of been a deal breaker because I try to respond to everybody that messages me. It's tough at times, but, um, so far it's been, it's been going really, really well. And, and, We've reached, I think, close to 70 countries now, which is awesome. Wow, really? I didn't know that, man. 
Yeah, 70 countries. So we have, so obviously with Stripe and Squarespace account, you can see that, see that data. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think I counted up close to like 72 countries that we've reached with, uh, with programs sold. And um, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see. That's cool. A a podcast. And and I talked to him fairly often uh, with Jared Moon, garage gym athlete. He's got a very successful online training business. Mm -hmm. He's been doing it for a long time. And, you know, he, he says that the big challenge for strength coaches and running an online training business is learning new skills, building a website, having a newsletter. He mentioned Stripe and Squarespace. People, you know, might not know what that is and have to Google it. Um, I agree with him. You know, that's probably the biggest barrier is that for coaches, it's it's easy to read T-Nation. It's easy to, to put your head in, in, in the stuff that you like, but you have to learn these other skills. Was that a challenge for you? Did, did you have trouble building websites? Was, was it was it tough tough going doing that? God, that's a great point. Um, no, actually, I have always enjoyed that. Uh, wow. I've always enjoyed just the creativity of it. I've, I've, you know, ever since I was young, I mean, I, I was going to enter school as an art major anyway. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, I've always been in love, the creativity. I always look at like, as soon as social media came out, like MySpace and like then Instagram and Facebook, I always look at other people's pages. I'm like, God, they didn't put any thought into that. It's just ugly. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, you know, I can make it better. So over time, you know, learning like embedded codes and, and just learning how to build a website and stuff like that, like that, that almost came natural to me. I wanted to learn that stuff. And then once I saw how, you know, Square, Squarespace makes things really easy, but still, but I still believe like if you run an online business, you got to be creative. Yeah. You know, or you got to hire somebody to do it for you. But I think you got to be creative in the content you put out. Like, and, and it's noticeable, right? Like, the cleaner your content looks, and you, you know, I mean, yeah. the, the more people it's going to be sucked into it. I mean, you're, they're going to you're going to go to to something that looks a little bit cleaner, and some looks a little bit, you know, kind of distorted. Yeah, you're an art. You're going to be an art major. That's so cool. Um, I mean, it's a big advantage to to like that part of the business because yeah. you can get caught up thinking my programming is good. The quality is good. I put a lot of thought into it. And I'm a quality coach. The product sells itself. I I wish the product always did sell itself. I mean, maybe it does in some instances, but let's be real. Marketing and sales is a big part of it. And you have to put Mm -hmm. a lot of effort into, you know, the facade of your business as well as to what the product is in the end. It sounds like you did that. Did you design your own logo? You have a great logo, by the way. Thank you. I uh, So I was lucky enough to have a former swimmer um, actually design it for me for free. Wow. So. Yeah, she designed a couple couple different logos for me, and, and she came through, and you know, it, it made a big impact on her through her career. You know, she, she said, you know, this is the least I could do for you, and um, you know, over everything with that. I mean, she she really done a good job with the logos, and, and they stuck. And um, yeah, I was lucky enough where I didn't have to hire anybody to do that, so it's good. Yeah, that's cool, man. Little 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 fun fact on the team builder logo. You know, we had this old logo that was horrible, and then when we did the redesign, <laughs> we hired a we hired a designer. But we looked through his portfolio, and, and he liked video games, and he was mostly doing designs for video games. And uh, when we looked at his stuff, though, we really liked the the look and feel of it, and it kind of gave us like this Halo look and feel. You know, Halo is kind of a military combat game, and that's how we came to our logo. We didn't think anything about performance or strength and conditioning mm-hmm. or anything. We just wanted something that looked sweet, man. We wanted something that would catch anyone's eye, whether it was a strength coach or just a person on the street. I think that's why people like our logos or our yeah. t-shirts. Yeah, it's it's. I think simple is better, right? Mm. You know, and it's just that, that simplicity of those logos. I mean, and yours sticks out. You just, again, you don't really see that too much. Yeah. You, know, you, need, you need to have a little bit. Of, you know, you need to be different, but you almost you don't want to do too much, right? Yeah. Yeah. Branding is fun. That's the fun part of business is like logos and colors and designing t-shirts. Everyone likes doing that, man, but it helps to make some money too. So you can buy some t-shirts in the first place. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so you want to maintain communication with the people who buy your programs on 13 bar performance. You said it gets a little bit unwieldy sometimes with the amount of people that come in. Um, what do you expect for the future of your business? I mean, is this something that you have a partner, I believe, but it's this, you know, sometimes people use the word lifestyle business and that means that it makes you some extra money or, you know, a decent amount of money. Um, but it's nothing that you want to dominate your life. How do you think about the future of your business? I think the future, um, it's a good question. I think that the way, the way video content 
is getting really, really popular now with vlogging. And um, again, it comes down to quality, right? So we're looking at ways to create video subscriptions when it comes to like programming clinics or talking about technique and putting the video content actually out there on the website for people to subscribe to. Um, that's something in the future. We're looking to upgrade our garage gym for a little while and training people out there on the weekends, kind of like mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a three or four hour session on a Saturday where four people come. I'm looking at four to five people come in and we just train their butt off for three or four hours. We assess them. We train them. We do like a little seminar, a Q and a session, make a little extra money there. And then down the road, yes, a, a facility is definitely where we want to go. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I don't want it to be your normal, you know, CrossFit facility or fitness facility where there's, you know, members. I'm looking to have quality, like group, almost collegiate style training mm. where we have, say, we have a 15 to 20, you know, 20 people in a group. We close the doors, we lock the doors, nobody can walk in. This is our dedicated time for these people. Yeah, it sounds like the, the kind of the kind of facility where people fly in to come to train at this place. Yeah, you know, this is this Absolutely. is an experience. You know, this is something that that people come from all around to do. This is not like I'm setting up in this neighborhood because it's a high earning neighborhood and I want to get you know. Yeah, that's cool, man. I like that. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Power Athlete Block One uh, weekend. You know, where people fly in from around the country to get their Block One certification. But, you know, it's it's the experience, right? You're not taking an online test. This is you have to show up in person. You have to kind of do it. And that's a possibility, too. Like, you know, is, is you know, people coming in. I mean, having seminars, um, you know, we, we want to be more for the military, obviously. Right. The tactical mm-hmm. setting. But obviously we're going to open up to athletes and sports and stuff like that. But it's the uh, it's the experience. It's we want to have a quality facility. Um we want, we want to feel like home. We want to feel like family in there. I mean, I think that's half the battle right there. I mean, people want to come in, like, what's going to keep it there? It's People can read the, your passion. You know, they can read your passion and know that you care, and that's the most important part. And, um, you know, we take pride in that. So we want to we want to take that to the facility. And I, I, we want our facility to be something that they, if people do fly in. It's almost like a mini Exos, right? Like, that's kind yeah. of what we do. It's like that's the mini- first thing that came to mind was Exos, yeah. yeah. Yep, something like that. Exos for, yeah, that that'd be the the lazy man's way of explaining it. Exos for uh, tactical, but yeah, you're onto something, man. You've got a good brand and you got good people. Um, you know, you and your partner, I could tell, do a great job. The attention you pay to your uh, detail on your website, I think, is really fantastic. Um, and, and this is the stuff that I want to highlight more in my podcast is, you know, there's, there's so many strength coaches doing really good things, but really there's not that many. There's a lot more that have the potential to, and I kind of want to bring people like on, like you on here to kind of elicit that inspiration um, to, to, to say, look, there's, there's a lot of people out there in the world who don't train with strength coaches. That's the majority of the world. And if you're going to be the strength coach on Twitter that's talking about general population health outcomes, well, you kind of have to get out of your training facility and think about ways to kind of reach those people. It kind of goes both ways. If you're going to complain about America being the most obese country in the world, you know, get out there and put your programs out, you know, go market to them, go get them. And you're doing that, man. I appreciate it, man. I, I, uh, it's definitely hard work. You know, I don't want these people out here to think that, you know, in the past, even when I was a young college strength coach, like, I designed a, a small website myself and I never kept up with it. Right. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it's work. And then finally, you know, once I matured and realized like, okay, like you really need to put your foot down and, and, and keep your foot on the gas. Because again, I try to put a post out a day or two, um, you know, commenting and, and liking and reposting and answering people's questions and keeping up with your website and constantly like tweaking things here and there like hey this might look better this doesn't look good i mean it's it's constant work it don't stop especially with the business yeah, yeah it is uh, it, it's a living breathing thing it, it only gives out as much as you put into it you're totally right yeah. about that uh well i look forward to big things from that man last question and we'll get you out of here um what training yourself do you write your own programs do, do, do you follow other people's programming how, how do you, yeah, how do you I, take your I, own personal approach to training yeah i so basically i follow my own programming cool. um Right now, I'm on more of a conjugate style program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's seven days a week. Um, but obviously, those seven days, you, I'm not hitting it hard seven days a week, right? There's mm-hmm. there's three aerobic specific days. Um, and then there's obviously your, your sub max upper, your sub max lower, and then your two dynamic, you know, upper and lower days. So um, 
one thing that I've that's really changed since I've entered the tactical setting is the attention to detail when it comes to energy system development. It's huge, huge. Um, I'm learning so much more about uh, how to incorporate aerobic um, work, more aerobic work, more anaerobic, lactic, alactic. I mean, really get specific with how we design that stuff. And I put it in my own programming and I'm yeah. seeing a huge difference in results from just more aerobic, steady state, low intensity work. Um, wow. And that's the hardest thing for people to, to, to grasp is like, man, like I feel like I'm doing nothing and it's, yeah, it's going to feel like that, but that's what your body needs probably more of. And it's made a huge difference in my lifts and how I feel my resting heart rate. It's awesome. So you, had to, you have to think about how you insert aerobic work within yep. within the, your macro and meso cycles, and, that, and that's a different ball game, right? It's not just about sprinkling it in on off days and stuff like that. Is there is now, there a more scientific approach to it than, than that? Yeah. So obviously, nobody wants to sit on a bike for an hour unless you're mm. you know you love to bike or cycle. But <laughs> you know, I try to get creative with how I how I do things. Like if I'm hitting more GPP early in my, early in my program, I'm going to put a little bit more strongman type conditioning in there, you know, more sled work, you know, more carries, more, you know, um, you know, grip work, stuff like that. I mean, sleds will always be in my program, but that specific type of work is, is huge when it comes to like my, my conditioning, even if it's just a low sled walk around the neighborhood, right. Weighted vest walks, even rucking, um, rucking comes in handy with, with just, again, just walking for 30 minutes. You'd be surprised, like keeping your heart rate at like 140 steady state. I mean, most people don't realize where their heart rate's at when they're running or doing conditioning. Like they don't train with a heart rate strap, you know, and, and it's almost like going into the weight room and not knowing what you have on the bar. Like you have mm. to know where your heart rate's at at all times. So, but yeah, that's depending on where you're at in the program, again, we'll hit, hit more anaerobic than aerobic. But again, that comes down to like our performance model and our performance testing. We see where people lie on that line. And I know I'm, I'm always fast twitch. Like I'm a baseball player. I was all anaerobic and I am horrible at the aerobic side. I know I need to work more on that side because I'll always be able to twitch. I'll always have that in my program, but I need more of that aerobic, aerobic capacity and, and aerobic ability. And people know where they're at. They, they, if they train, they should know what they need more of. And that's how I know. Yeah, that's for former football guys like me. Aerobic work, you, <laughs> I, it really, it's not very common, but you, we know we need it. And uh, it might be time for me to buy a program off 13 bar performance, to be honest. With hey, you. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm here to help you, man. And, and, and that's the thing, like, that's where, that's where the CrossFit will get a little tricky with people that love to do that stuff. And I know it's very popular and it's been great, great for the performance world and strength conditioning, but I'll, I'll, I tell every like CrossFitter, hey, whatever you're doing from a high intensity standpoint, try to replace that with an aerobic session. You probably need that because they just it's high intensity after high intensity after high intensity. It just it doesn't work. It, it isn't sustainable, right? Um, and that's where that comes in hand. A lot of people will fall to that and think that that's going to get them in shape, and it, it might for you know quick results, but long term they need to adjust their programming a little bit. Yeah, true. Next time I do a pen and paper strength app uh, pro, uh, program and it tells you to skip the cardio, I might have to push back on that. I might yeah, push back. There. Push back. Don't listen to that. <laughs> throw a little, throw a little rower in there. I'll figure something out. Sweet man, Dude, Shelton. We got a lot of content in in less than an hour, man. That this is, and you're a good. You're a good podcast guest. You give good, concise answers. Um, you're good to have on here. I appreciate it, man. I, I'll be willing to do it again any day. Yeah, I would. It'd be fun to come around and, and maybe do a little bit of a uh, a follow up on your business. And if people are interested in that, you know, we can get into that a little bit more as long as you're open to sharing it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Great takeaways today, man. Thanks for coming on, Shelton. I really appreciate you. No, I appreciate the invite, Hewitt. And I, again, I've always said I love what y'all do, and and you know, you know, continue to grow, especially even in the tactical setting. Um, it, you know, it's it's been great to be able to be involved with y'all through my career. So keep doing what you're doing, man. Thanks, man. Honored to know you. It's an exciting space. We're excited to be involved in it. So that's cool. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.